This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Friday afternoon, June 11th, 2021. Good afternoon and happy reopening day. I'm Rob Hart in for, noon, for Cisco Cotto here on the Noon Business Hour, which is presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. The state of Illinois is fully open, but some restaurants are being measured in their return to business. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, G7 leaders are meeting in the U.K. While here at home, lawmakers are trying to forge an infrastructural bill compromise. We're joined by Andrew Bush, former chief markets intelligence officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and economist at AndrewBush.com, based in Chicago. Andy, thanks for joining us once again on the Noon Business Hour. Last time we talked about uh, the G7 summit and some of the uh, items that the leaders of the seven major world economies uh, agree on. They have to go back to their respective capitals and then sell it to their own lawmakers. But a similar negotiation dance is taking place in Washington as uh, this bipartisan Senate group is trying to come up with an infrastructure bill that everyone can agree on, or seemingly 60 senators can agree on, and, uh, and try to uh, build some things in this country over the next decade. Yeah, that's right. This is the physical infrastructure bill as opposed to the social infrastructure bill. Uh, Those are two separate uh, plans that the Biden administration released. And obviously, they started off way far apart. Now it seems like there's a group of, I think, about 20 bipartisan uh, senators who are working on a deal that will be around $1 trillion. And I know that's uh, from from reading the tea leaves with the Biden administration, they started off at 2.3, but I know they want a number that's over a trillion dollars so they can make that announcement. But um, that's where they're at. They're negotiating. Um, the question is, of course, always is how are they going to pay for this? And they haven't released that information yet. And this does sound like it would be a slow spend over a long period of time, that there would be X amount of money through five years, and you'd get to a trillion as you go to a decade out. And there was an interesting statistic I came across a couple of weeks ago, and that was discussing a similar infrastructure bill that was passed during the Reagan administration, 1983. And the money in that bill was spent well into the 90s. And by the time you got to 1994, there were some dollars in that bill that had yet to be touched. Yeah, I I think the key here is infrastructure. It you, you can't go out and build a bridge tomorrow, right? So uh, there's At least not, not one that you'd want to drive on, I guess. Yeah, exactly, Rob. I mean, that's the challenge when you're talking about shovel-ready projects, right? It takes a while to get these things up and running. There's a lot of logistics involved. Um, There's a lot of things that are going to be included in this, including looking at inequality and where they place these projects. So the timeline on these things is going to be fairly long. But the point is, hey, the country really needs it. Anytime you've seen an architectural survey of the United States, they all say there's major problems with the roads, bridges, tunnels, 
waterways. Uh, this is money that's going to be well spent that will actually do some really good things for the country. And very quickly, Andy, even though we live in a more ideological era in Congress, uh, lawmakers still like to bring projects back to their districts. Yeah, they sure do. And it's and that's why you have a bipartisan deal and, the you know, ready to go here. But I also think that um, it, it's Believe it or not, they're they're going to do something that's right. That's they're going to do something that's needed in this country, and I think that's that's just a wonderful thing. We've not seen this in in a long time, going all the way back to the Obama administration. So let's hope that this leads to further positive things coming out of Washington D.C. Thanks a lot, Andrew Bush, former Chief Markets Intelligence Officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and economist at andrewbush.com. Coming up, some restaurants are struggling to come up with a workable plan for reopening. An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's a big day for restaurants in Illinois. However, the reopening of the state is also presenting challenges for the industry. We welcome in Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. the restaurant coach based in Chicago. Izzy, thanks for joining us today. Let's start off with the big challenge that uh, a lot of restaurant owners across the country have been saying, and that is uh, trying to find enough people to uh, to, to staff up as uh, demand goes up. Is that the number one problem for restaurants in the Chicago area, or is it something else? No, it is absolutely the number one issue. It is, uh, has been very hard to get people to come back. Uh, I know of restaurants that were seven days a week, uh, you know, in 2019, and this year they're going to be opening up maybe four days, maybe five days a week, only because they can no longer uh, staff the restaurant enough to keep it going seven days a week. So they're either doing adjustments through technology or adjustment through hours, or uh, some restaurants have actually taken out half their tables because uh, they don't want people seeing all these empty tables, but uh, they're just leaving enough tables for the staff that they have that can work uh, the, the restaurant. As last year, before the vaccine was announced, and there were some predictions about what life would be like post-pandemic, post-vaccine, and if there would be like a slow return to life as we once knew it, uh, do the restaurant owners that you talk to, are they surprised by the speed at which people are going back and doing things they used to enjoy prior to the pandemic? Well, I have to tell you, I, I manage restaurants all over the country, and 100% of my restaurant sales are up 20 to 30 percent over 2019. People are coming in at a huge rate and the reason that the sales are up 20 or 30 percent is because there are still those people who are uncomfortable uh, to go into the restaurant so they're still going to order pickup delivery curbside so you have that business which is going to remain and a hundred percent of the people are going to come back uh, to the interior and I know you know just restaurants I tried to go to on the weekend uh, some, I mean, it was a two-hour wait or three-hour wait, or we don't have any more seats. The pandemic has forced a lot of innovations on the uh, operational side, you know, setting up outdoor spaces, doing an outdoor, uh, doing a, a delivery business or a takeout business where one may not have existed before. Is the last innovation before fully reopening is trying to adjust to this new uh, HR reality? It, it is. I mean, the, the big question is, when are these uh, employees going to come back or are they going to come back? Because many, many restaurant managers over the, you know, that whole period of the pandemic 
who used to work nights, who used to work weekends and holidays, had this time to look at their life and say, you know, maybe there's something out there for me that that isn't that lifestyle. And they have gone to totally different industries. I was talking to someone in the in the warehousing industry, and they are getting a lot of restaurant managers coming to work for them because it offers a better lifestyle. So the pandemic caused people to totally change careers. That's the one piece that's going to take us a long time to uh, come back from. Well, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. the restaurant coach in Chicago. Coming up next, a surprising number of younger homeowners are dealing with buyer regret. We'll talk News that makes you money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A survey by Bankrate looks at home buyers' regret among members of the millennial and baby boom generations. Joining us now on the McGrath Lex- uh, McGrath Lexus business line is Greg McBride, chief financial analyst, Bankrate.com, based in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Greg, thanks for joining us today. Now, this is your survey. And it found that 64% of millennials between 25 and 40 are facing regrets after buying a home compared to 33% of their parents ages 57 to 75. What are the nature of these regrets? Is it just, you know, fixing a toilet and saying, I wish the landlord would do this? Or is it something much deeper? They tend to be, they break down in one of two categories, financially related or things having to do with the physical characteristics of the home. And so, you know, the financial regrets revolve around maintenance and the cost of home ownership. Um, That can be a real eye opener and particularly relevant in today's market. 13% saying they paid too much in price, even not shopping around for your mortgage rate. That that's another one. Um, And then of course, in terms of physical characteristics, it really ranges, runs the gamut from location to it's too big, it's too small. Um, I think this market in particular, you run the risk of both of those intersecting, right? There's a limited inventory. Uh, and so you may settle for a property and yet pay too much for it in the process. When uh, my wife and I bought our most recent home five years ago, the start to finish process was about seven to eight weeks from this house looks nice to uh, here's the keys, start moving in. Um, with the housing market being as hot as it is right now, do home buyers have the luxury of time? Well, they don't have time, the luxury of time in terms of the uh, getting the offer in. That part of the process is uh, going way too fast. Uh, there are bidding wars taking place. You know, oftentimes people are, you know, even buying places sight unseen. Um, that doesn't tend to end very well. Uh, you know, I think it's more important to, you know, particularly for first-time home buyers, don't feel rushed into a deal just because you're frustrated. There's worse things than renting just a little while longer uh, rather than rushing into a hot market. Also interesting to get the perspective of baby boomers, how they feel about home ownership now, because uh, if, if, if you're in your late 30s or early 40s, chances are our parents bought in the early 80s when the interest rate was still in the double digits, and they may have a different perspective on the financial piece of home ownership compared to today. Yeah, exactly. When it comes to you know things like mortgage rate being too high or the payment being too high, uh, there's not a whole lot of those regrets among baby boomers. Uh, you know, yes, interest rates today just a fraction of what they had been, say, in the early '80s when uh, you know a lot of you know uh, you know a lot of baby boomers or even you know seniors were buying that that house, paying a much higher price today. It, you know, uh, those rates are, are a relative bargain. You know, even the maintenance and, and things like that. It's not if it's not your first rodeo, that's less of, of an eye opener than it would be to the first time home buyer. Well, thanks for joining us this afternoon, Greg McBride, Chief Financial Analyst at Bankrate.com. 
uh, based in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Still ahead in Entrepreneur Friday, building an online business around the sale of independent craft spirits. News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart in Francisco Cotto, and these are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Mayor Lightfoot salutes the resiliency of Chicagoans as the city moves into fully open mode. The first session of the three day G7 Summit is in the books. Entrepreneur Friday, we meet the founder and CEO of a Chicago company built on direct to consumer sale of spirits. And American Airlines is the latest company to make an investment in flying taxis. WBBM Business. The markets are lower. The Dow is down 79 points. The Nasdaq is up nine. The S&P 500 is down two. AccuWeather says hot and humid with sunshine, building clouds. A few places will have a thunderstorm, mainly inland. A high today of 92. It'll feel like 100, low 80s along the lakefront. It's 1231. Mayor Lightfoot had praise for the residents of Chicago as she officially announced the reopening of the city this morning. The mayor says Chicago is the first major U.S. city to fully reopen after months of restrictions, calling it a long, dark and difficult period. You masked up, you got vaxxed up, and now it's time for you to get up, get out of the house this summer and fully and safely and enjoy the events of the best city on the planet. To help in that, and as a reward to businesses that have suffered under capacity limits and closures, the city is giving out hundreds of $250 gift cards that can be used at more than 4,000 restaurants and shops across Chicago. The city's also giving away 1,000 free one-day passes to Lollapalooza for fully vaccinated people. Nancy Hardy, News Radio 105.9 FM. The three day G7 summit has kicked off with British Prime Minister Boris Johnson welcoming the leaders of the U.S., France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Canada, and the European Union. I actually think this is a meeting that genuinely needs to happen because we need to make sure that we learn the lessons from the pandemic. We may need to make sure that we don't repeat some of the errors that we doubtless made. Recovery from the pandemic is at the top of the agenda for the gathering. The Noon Business Hour continues, presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. Markets are hanging near the flat line this Friday afternoon. We're joined by Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director, Clearset Advisors, based in New York. Jim, thanks for joining us this afternoon. It sounds like uh, investors just want to end the week on a high note. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, an uncertain week, an uninspiring week. Uh, the markets have been in a broad trading range for some uh, time now, making modest new highs. Uh, but underneath it all, there's been a significant change in the last week or two in terms of psychology. Uh, up until uh, this week, it's been that we're going to have high growth, high inflation, uh, high government spending, uh, higher interest rates, and therefore you want to uh, uh, sell growth stocks and buy value stocks. What seemed to happen this week is the market concluded that although the inflation numbers were, were, were not good, they were, they, they were very high, that we're probably in a period of peak growth, peak inflation, and that both growth and inflation will, will taper somewhat from here, and therefore you want to rotate back into the growth stocks from the value stocks. That's value stocks. That seems to be the major change underlying a market that on balance has done not a lot. On the consumer side of things, uh, inflation is harmful if, if, you, if you're paying more for gas or if you're paying more at the grocery store, if you're paying more for a car, uh, the harm is self-evident. But at the same time, there are some cases on a macroeconomic standpoint where inflation is actually good. And what are some of those instances? 
Well, they're they're good for companies that that can uh, uh, take any cost increases and and pass them on uh, with comfort, therefore expanding their uh, their margins. Uh, you want a little bit of inflation in the economy because it's a sign of uh, good demand and, and, and a vibrant economy. You don't want too much because that, then that will force the Federal Reserve into raising interest rates, which in turn would slow down the economy. So what you want is a reasonable growth economy with reasonable inflation. And, and I think what the markets are saying is that's likely where we're heading, but you're not going to know until the fall because you are going to have several more months of this higher inflation. So I think the markets are in an uncertain uh, uncertain period, but basically in an upward tra- trajectory dr- driven by a growing economy, growing profits, and what's likely to be historically low rates, even though they might be a little bit higher than they are now. The uh, great summer activity for the uh, online trader are the uh, so-called meme stocks driven by the uh, Wall Street Bets uh, subreddit, uh, if, for those of you who understand what I'm talking about. But is this also a situation where uh, some companies may want to, to try to game this ecosystem by uh, doing what they can to uh, get their stocks uh, into the eyes or on the radar of some of these meme investors? Hey, maybe we could be the next AMC or GameStop. Yeah, yeah. I think there is a game going on where where uh, some managements that need to raise equity wouldn't mind seeing the Reddit crowd push their, their stocks up so that they can then go sell stock. But I think this whole phenomenon, which is a product of a bull market, low interest rates, excess liquidity, uh, uh, the Internet, and people with a lot of time on their hands, I think it'll dissipate over time as interest rates normalize, people uh, get back to work, spend less time in front of their computers, and you have a situation here where stocks are trading unrelated to their fundamentals, related solely to social media chatter. It's not healthy, and it's not sustainable. So it's one of those things that uh, will eventually be disrupted by uh, that killer app known as Outside or Hobbies or just something else as we get back to our pre-pandemic equilibrium. Yeah, I, 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 we will return to normal. This is an abnormal uh, functioning of the of the uh, uh, equity markets. We've seen it before many times over the years, and it, it always ends not well for those who get in late. Thanks for joining us, Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director, ClearSet Advisors, based in New York. Coming up next, an entrepreneur Friday, the online liquor business. It's booming, and a Chicago company has a piece of the action. Buy, sell, listen. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Entrepreneur Friday, and this afternoon we're delving into the online liquor industry, a success story that's taking place here in Chicago. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus business line is Michael Weiss, founder and CEO of Spirit Hub in Chicago. Michael, thanks for joining us today. When you started Big Fish Spirits back in 2016, could you imagine that uh, there would be this massive disruptive event that would bring the entire world around? to your business model? Rob, great question. Wonderful meeting you. Thank you for having us today. Uh, 2016, we did, not expo- we did not believe that there was going to be such an explosion of people wanting to have craft spirits delivered to their homes, um, especially not this quick. Ultimately, we did know that this would get here eventually. We thought it would take probably a couple more years. We knew e-commerce was the next wave of alcohol sales. But as we sit today, we're very, very excited about the fact that we were here when the time was needed. And ultimately, our customers were able to capture what they needed at the time when they wanted it. Oh, um, 
Really, really excited about it, yeah. Over the years that I have covered the uh, craft beer and craft liquor scene in Chicago, you talk to all of these independent brewers and distillers, and to a person, they all say the real issue is trying to navigate the thicket of distribution laws, some of which date all the way back to the end of Prohibition, uh, that prohibited certain types of uh, point-to-point sales. What was it like to kind of navigate all of those laws to make uh, online direct-to-consumer liquor delivery possible? So, Rob, we actually started the company as a concept in 2014. Uh, Q4 2014, we looked at the evaluation of the three-tier distribution system, trying to understand the difference between three-tier control states and different marketplaces. Ultimately, we as a business made the decision to go forward with e-commerce and really defining the path forward as the golden standard for the three-tier distribution system and how that works. Yes, people are challenged how they operate right now today because there's a lot of confusion from state to state, market to market. It gets all the way down to the municipality level, all the way up to the state level, and then sometimes you can have federal regulations. Ultimately, within the business, we did find challenges, but we always rose to the occasion. We look at ourselves first as a regulatory compliant technology solution where we focus on logistics and the customer demand. But ultimately, as a content play, we focus primarily on craft spirits from independent distilleries, making products available that ultimately were not previously available to you in any other local liquor store you may shop in. In the history of craft spirits, what was kind of the... the a turning point or were there multiple turning points in people's attitudes uh, toward whiskey and gin and vodka? Was it the, the lifting the prohibition on uh, TV advertising 20 years ago or was it so many or was it so many people watched Mad Men and wanted to embrace those 1960s cocktails that a whole scene kind of developed around it? You know, I'll tell you, it was definitely Mad Men, but, but in all seriousness, uh, the reality is what happened was in 2008 all the way to 2012, there's a lot of tax incentives to people creating craft distilleries within different marketplaces. People really want to give people a taste of local craft, local products, right? You want to find that little place that you can call your own and really tell the story of the brand and fall in love with it. That's what customers warrant. They look at that experiential opportunity to really indulge and dive into something that they could call their own. That's what the craft spirits market did for people. The explosion really took place, you know, really between the 2008-2012 timeline. Uh, you've got mixologists, you've got bartenders who no longer just, you know, create just a drink that you want, you know, Jack and Coke. They're more focused on making it a better experience for their customer. Ultimately, craft spirits have taken its own shape, taken its own focus, and a lot of beer drinkers actually are now starting to get into the craft world as well because ultimately they get to try something different every time. They don't want to drink the same old beer every single time, even microbrews. Ultimately, that is the beer. They get into the cocktails, the experience, and the craft spirits lifestyle is more what's attractive to people than just the products themselves. And then lastly is the story behind the brand, multi-generation owned brands, multiple founders, uh, minority owned businesses. That's what we focus on as a business. We want to make sure that people can try something new, call it their own, Find a little place of somewhere outside of their local home where they could say, wow, it's almost like I'm traveling to the distillery. It's almost like I'm a part of this brand and hear directly from those makers through a series of content offerings on our platform. Well, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Michael Weiss, founder and CEO of Spirit Hub here in Chicago. Still to come, American Airlines showing belief in the concept of the air taxi. Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. 
The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. American Airlines plans to invest $25 million in the Vertical Aerospace Group, a UK-based electric aircraft startup. We're joined by Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media and former tech editor of the Today Show. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. And if uh, it sounds like if everything goes right for American Airlines, one day their flying taxi will whisk you from downtown Chicago above traffic on the Kennedy all the way to O'Hare, carefree and worry-free, and uh, you're not stressed anymore. I'm I'm sort of dreaming right now. I'm sorry, you got me distracted. That's, <laughs> that's real, it's, it's a really nice vision, and they're hoping to make it a reality. Obviously, American Airlines Group is is they're not the only ones to get in the flying taxi world. Uh, in fact, <clears throat> Airbus is looking at it. Pardon me, so are a whole bunch of others, and and invested, and and here's why: because the congestion that you just described, going to O'Hare or any airport in a major metropolitan area, including in Europe, which is where this is going to start, uh, Vertical Aerospace Group Limited is the uh, got the investment from American Airlines. But the problem is that huge numbers of hours are wasted in the last, say, 10 miles between a city and the airport, or 15 miles. And so what they're trying to do is make that, that distance uh, basically get go away in, effectively. In other words, they're going to go up to 200 miles an hour, a range of over 100 miles. So most commutes to most airports are under 50 miles, and uh, this would satisfy all of them. And now the airlines, or there have been some uh, attempts at trying to do a helicopter service between a major airport and the city center. Um, there have been a, there were a few tri- tries at doing an O'Hare to Meg's Field helicopter service way back when. Um, I think there was a Pan Am used to have a helicopter that took you from Midtown Manhattan to JFK. Uh, and some of them were shut down for safety issues. So uh, this seems like something that would they're trying to, to make an air taxi service that would be kind of more or less in the reach of the regular passenger and not the high-flying uh, business traveler? I would say almost. In other words, the short answer is yes, safety concerns shut those down, and but also noise concerns. Helicopters, as you well know, are not quiet uh, vehicles, and these are and plan to be electric. In other words, a vertical aerospace group, as, as uh, Airbus is doing and a bunch of others, are planning on a, on a vertical takeoff like a helicopter and then going to the airport or whatever the end destination is, but using an electric engine. Now, as far as safety goes, you know, we're, we're all pretty used to internal combustion engines. That's what, obviously where helicopters use, but the electric engines are in some ways more reliable, many fewer moving parts, many uh, fewer dollars spent on maintenance. And so the, the primary concern in addition to safety, which obviously has to be handled, was noise. And that goes away with this particular solution. All right, Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media, former tech editor for the Today Show. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.